shallow words bring nothing new. Shallow words bring nothing new. It could suck. Welcome to my show. This is Superstructure. What's going on, boys? <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, the family, is, the self-standing family is all back together now with no more disruptions. We got Max here. We got Natty here. We've got me here. And we're sovereign together. The boys are back in town. Um <laughs> Yeah, I actually did three episodes back to back. Like the Natty one-on-one series was like each of the three was not planned that way. <laughs> oh no, the one with Max, but that was anyway, but that's not the point. But it's funny because I like to like pretend things were planned all along that weren't. It's like destiny. Now you're telling everyone. Okay, well, I uh, Will can always erase it. Just erase it or don't erase it and just show my total neurosis when I talk about how we can erase things. I will, I will. Which is um, what I think the audience comes for, this type of... Uh, psychosexual um <laughs> deep depths it's it's unplanned production that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's what we're doing here yeah right? this is it's it's all completely spontaneous theories of change yeah theories of change which may or may not be the episode title i don't know we should think about it we'll decide that later um but what are we talking about this week everyone so we're here to sort of take stock of the sort of institutional activist left in ways that are variously uh, related to theories of change, related to where we're at historically, related to some of the conflicts that seem to be arising within and amongst certain institutions and playing out in pages of socialist magazines and <laughs> this this is gonna start out so vague and we're at the end we're gonna be like and jacobin and dsa and sunrise <laughs> um <laughs> but yes certain certain mass organizations and and magazines and institutions yes that's right and you know um a lot of dishes are involved no um <laughs> but i love doing dishes like one to three at a time <laughs> That's how much work the average woman will have to do to reproduce the new <laughs> socialist man. <laughs> well, while the men lay concrete, women do dishes. That's called socialism. Mm-hmm. Socialism is the process of going from laying concrete to laying on concrete. <laughs> yeah, between dishes, you lie on the concrete, you do some yoga poses, you put in a podcast, you smoke a little, and then you're like, ooh, my back feels better, and then you stand up, do another one to two dishes. <laughs> It's um, that... specific, Natty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining like what my ideal um, socialist path would be if I were to be in charge of the dishes, which of right. course I am. I'm a dedicated dish um, washer. So scaling that up. Washing the dishes. <laughs> You're all fired. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, it, it is an important question. What is the one true path to socialism, <laughs> right? Because that that is what max is pointing at himself um (laughs) that that is seems to be the dominant framing you know i mean i i think all of our listeners have probably heard the phrase theory of change right um and we're going to get to this later but it would probably be good i think to take some stock of what's what's happened the last few weeks that 
led us to want to do this episode. Um, maybe... Spent a lot of time on my sofa. <laughs> I spent some time reading some... Uh, reports from the DSA convention. One of our nerdier, one of our nerdier hobbies. We're not going to lie to you. Yeah. The extent to which we're in the comments on Twitter, we're like, Max, like, DSA, what, what's being said? <laughs> yeah. Um, I would never spend like three hours searching DSA latest <laughs> and reading every tweet and clicking on every link. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm fine. I'm actually doing well. That was right before or after you did that with popsicles. Oh, yeah, the popsicle thing. There's... <laughs> there's there's a whole popsicle thing. Anyway, we'll, we'll get back to that. Um, I would like to hear about the popsicle thing, but okay, we will get we will get to we'll that. Te- we'll just tease them with the popsicle. Yeah, te- te- um, tease them with the popsicle thing. That's if I had a nickel. <laughs> yeah, there's a popsicle and a nickel involved, and that's all you need to know. <laughs> Theory of change. <laughs> but I mean, you know. I, there's always mess in institutional conventions. If you've ever been to like a conference or a convention, it's always fun because of the drama. I mean, I think that's one way to look at it, right? It's like there's there's some joy in the sort of petty meanness and conflict that I think is a part of being a human sometimes. And so there's, there, you know, it's important to say that at first as well. But, you know, they're real bitches of DSA. Yeah, I mean, I would watch it, and I did watch it, and I would love to, yeah. I mean, Um, within reason, we're not on the level where, we like to do the reading version. We're not like, let's be on Zoom calls of this for days on end. Oh, God, no, no, no. (laughs) Which respect to the people who are in the trenches, we respect that. Yeah, I mean, I I did Model UN in college, which I'm not proud of. (laughs) You really? Yeah, I did. Yes. Um, <laughs> I was the president of our of our Montreal club. Um, How many people were in the club? Oh, uh, like twenty five. Oh wow. Yeah, I was a real leader. Um, <laughs> I, bet, I bet you were like theory of change myself. <laughs> I, get to, I get to choose who who gets to come to New York to yeah. the conventions. There's no. always a trip. There's always a trip. Yeah. There's always a trip. North Korea, you sit down. <laughs> Every model UN convention that I've heard about is like some fake scenario that's like North Korea invented a new bomb disease and they like try all the normal countries try to like talk them off the cliff or whatever so what i would do is like usually people usually people usually people would want to get on those like weird security council crisis things but i was too nerdy that i would want to get on like the the weird like ecosoc committees and, and like actually like do like policy work and it was so literally dsa yeah. Anyway, <laughs> this is why this is why I'm not on the zooms. I did this already. Um, anyway, like I said, so there, you know, there's some there's so, there's some fun in that and some joy in that, and I actually want to like honor that before we like because drama can easily be trashed, but conflict I do think can be like within reason. Like tension can be important. Um, Only as a joke, either like the jokey enjoyment of it isn't mean it. It's it's not no. soap operas are meaningful for a reason. It's not just soap. Well, it, ha- it has its own politics, you know, in, in a way, right. and and right. so there's a there's a lot of passion and uh, you know emotional investment in the the political work that people do, and that's 
gonna cause people to to feel things and that's okay and and you know where where things can go wrong is when um those feelings are tied to a clash reductionist caucus or whatever that is seeking to defend people who have been abusive or whatever the the hell happened in certain instances right and that's where things go uh you know awry or like when it's like when the adornians uh write like from class unity perspective that like antifa is just feeding the dialectic and therefore uh, is meaningless uh practice or something i did not know what that just meant but I well think I... you know what i'm i'm glad let the dialectic slumber under the ground don't feed it <laughs> or it will don't or, it. It, or it will come out of its labyrinth don't don't pull out your your bottle and start feeding the dialectic um, <laughs> just lie down on the concrete breathe in let it happen, let it happen. breathe out yeah. do another yeah. dish fly down again <laughs> Um, so yeah, and like I, I don't even wanna to even try to recapitulate specific dramas or whatever. Um, I mostly just want to comment on one thing that I thought was very relevant to our last episode about mutual aid, which was there were several um, there were several kind of like public letters of people who were either stepping down from positions or taking a leave of absence or something that that really were talking about mental health. Um, and we're talking about feeling like they have given so much of themselves to to this organization in in frankly like a literally a zero sum way, right? Like to to the point where they feel drained and spent. And in uh, in the last episode on mutual aid, reading from uh, a book by Dean Spade, um, one of the things that we were talking about is burnout. Um, and you know, I mean. I think we've all, whether in an organizing context or a workplace context. Seminars, seminars on burnout usually, like we talked about in the episode, usually resolve the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, usually uh, you just need to try harder. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then you can push through. Stop being a little bitch. That's yeah. first and foremost. Or start being one, but better. <laughs> <laughs> For the workers. And, you know, there's there's not like an answer to, you know, how do you get rid of, you know, negative emotions or toxic relationships forever, you know, or something like that. But like, one of the things that you can say as kind of like a meta comment about it is the way that they're conditioned by a, a lack of feeling like you can leave a situation or like, you know, basically feeling like whether and I, I have personal experience with this in like you know even past relationships right like there's like a feeling of like if i'm not holding up this person or holding up this relationship at my own expense it's going to fall and then we have nothing um and i feel like that becomes i mean reading some of the the public letters that i saw that were like really heartbreaking and like kind of triggering honestly for me to read um a big theme was this kind of like like the way that I'm doing this is not working right now. I understand that and I need to take a break, but I also feel immense guilt about the fact that I have to take a break because basically what that means is that I'm taking a break from making change and I'm like, you know, focusing on myself instead, right? And so there's there's a kind of a, there was like a DSA or bust sort of um, undertone that later in this episode, you know, expanding on another theme of the mutual aid episode, kind of like monetary experimentation and how you can, you know, kind of transcend the very like scarce 
you know, emotional economy of the government is not like a household, right? And that's, you know, that also means like, it's good because households cause immense stress, you know, if if they're imagined to be this household is all that I have, right? Right. And the flailing is telling because I think it's fine to stay in things if it's working and that could have productive tension, right? But the point at which you are like insisting that everybody else has to stay or socialism won't work in this one specific org makes me not believe that you're fine. It makes me not believe that your relationship is working with DSA. I mean, if you're going to stay, you stay. If it's working for you, okay. But then like work on the dynamic, like it just, I don't buy it when I see that type of thing. I don't know. I think a nice theme that will then like allow us to sort of start building this analogical structure for this episode is thinking about the way like allowing a bit of breathing room or distance or compatible separation right can can actually be more of a generative way of activating a movement or moving forward in ways that are emotionally personally institutionally sustainable right because it's not this flip a dialectical switch of being for others, being for the movement and the working class. And it's like, I've overextended myself and now I have to violently switch back to being for oneself, right? And this, you know, we we always talk about this dialectical logic and how pernicious it is to see it as the only possibility of absolute univocal opposition um, in all different registers, but this is another one, right, where people are severing that connection, too. They're like, I have to leave DSA fully, right? Which is also, like, there's there's something very, as Will said, very zero-sum in this, in this situation. So a part of our contention to put maybe our cards on the table beforehand is that a bit of distance that can be a predicate for a continued activism, right, a you know, some might call it like uh, a space for self care, but that I would think we would want to problematize that. Uh, yeah, no, that no, not not a space for being for oneself and exactly you know, as totally separate, right? But the, like, but the metaphor of breath is beautiful, and that's beautiful. This breathing amongst and in the time of COVID, and you know, there the the Black Lives Matter had a, a breathing very centrally. I mean, these are real. Breath is a real question, and then yeah. using that analogically in terms of like thinking collectives, I think that there's a lot of poetry and potential there. And like social distancing, and all all of, there's all these really yeah. interesting metaphors for thinking about like a sort of being for all at the yeah. same time, like an, an all at onceness in that m- moving forward or in that activism that takes stock or accounts for, right, we could use these metaphorical registers for the variation of needs that nevertheless are are not synthetic, right, but like not into one need, but that speak for a sort of general apophatic or, or uh, sort of trajectory of need. What does apophatic mean? Tell the people. Well, apophatic is a theological word that references <laughs> a sort of negative or inarticulable sort of beyond right but of course we're not using it in like a beyond as in heaven sense but a beyond as in potentially a a a futurity like a future prospect for you know justice and and you know some some might call it socialism or or however you want to phrase it so 
allowing this sort of coherent breadth and space is, is like, I think, the methodological, theoretical place in which we want to come to this question of burnout, of, of this sort of institutional inside-outside logic that then is playing out in different ways. Yeah, and and we want to, I think, also talk about this this kind of, you know, apophatic way of reading where you are, right? Like, to, to read yourself as a DSA member apophatically would be to not assume that there's no world outside of DSA that, that also has form and organizations and structure that, that is that DSA is in a dynamic relationship with, right? It's this idea that- a that... pro or anti-track jacket position regarding <laughs> DSA? I just want to know where my DSA hat is and why it hasn't arrived yet. The customer <laughs> support person that Max has been emailing just resigned. An open letter. <laughs> I'm sick of hats. <laughs> I'm sick of hats. <laughs> but yeah, right, like in the same way that we in the last episode talked about naming things and as something that's inescapable, like, like we all do it, but- all that we can do is be reflexive about the fact that it's not totalizing, right? When you know, when you name something, you're not subsuming the essence of that thing, you know, like it can overlap with other names and, you know, other ways of reading it and, and all of that. Um, and, you know, I, I think that just whether you're in DSA or any other organization, right? Like taking an approach of like, I'm a DSA member, you know, but I'm not like, that doesn't mean that I'm for DSA at the exclusion of myself, of other organizations, of whatever, right? Which which is, I think, how this sort of meta debate between DSA and Sunrise and people, you know, maybe in other organizations about theories of change sort of start from, right? Is this idea that that there does need to be one grand universal theory of change that everybody can be plugged into because if there's not then we imagine a kind of a disintegration into structurelessness and you know neoliberal you know lack of agency and we want to get outside of that like on off switch (laughs) sort of thinking and similarly we're not we're not like wholly anti-DSA either, right? No, like I think course. the yeah. fact and the fact that people read that into us, like focusing on these critiques, uh, speaks to that symptomology, right? Of like, oh my God, you can't critique it. But it is interesting, you know, when people immediately, oh well, are you in DSA or not? So we almost get posed this like anti-DSA identity, which we aren't either. We also want to breathe the months, but the fact when you encounter these kind of resistances and very rigid uh, identifications to the exclusion of others, and they th- that they read us as like trying to strip away is an interesting um, dynamic. As, we, we, as, yeah, as the U.S. Marines would say, it's a battle to belong. God. Oh Jesus! Yeah, um, <laughs> that sounds really fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! This, the, the Marines ad that Max is citing really makes me wish that this was like a video podcast so that we could just like play it and talk about it maybe some future form of something from the money on the left collective will have maybe a feature like that i don't know maybe if what? andres bernal gets off his ass and actually makes his show um, <laughs> we'll i was see. about to say that this was our our gay porn uh, uh next movement but maybe i should w- withdraw that mm. <laughs> oh no, we can, we can keep that there. We can, that's fine. As long as it's apophatically gay. 
Um, I mean, I already <laughs> mentioned Andres, so. Yeah. <laughs> to Natty's point, right, like, there, there's a way in which this idea of the mass organization that correlates to the theory of change, that correlates to the way that capitalism functions, you know, it's there's this way of, like, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, they will discipline you, you know? Like, if you're not in DSA, then they'll say, why are you having opinions about DSA in public. If you are in DSA, they'll ask what you're doing for DSA and begin disciplining you as a member, right? Um, <laughs> uh, and this is not to like say that that is the essence of what DSA is either, right? Um, no more than it's, you know, the essence of any organization or, you know, right? Like you can think back to our critique of sovereignty, right? Like just because even though the dominant way of looking at the nation state is through this lens of sovereignty, that doesn't actually mean that the claims of sovereignty are true um, in, in the sense that there, that there actually is no outside of the state. Um, and I, I feel like I see a lot of really strong resonances with this idea of, of nation state sovereignty, right? And this like organizational sovereignty kind of theory of a mass, a mass organization that's, that's autonomous and is owned by its members, right? So, and we can talk about how that needs to be, like, complicated, you know? Because, like, it, like, internal democracy is great, and it obviously makes sense if people are paying into an organization to have, you know, the organization have, like, a special kind of responsibility to those people. But as i think the history of like the figure of the taxpayer who owns the country fully and therefore gets like a full univocal say over what the priorities of the country are right like that's that's very clearly like a a problematic construction that has uh subconsciously like conditioned a lot of you know racist and exclusionary ideas. Um, And importantly, right, like, to critique that taxpayer idea is also to say that, you know, the US, right, is in the world and has responsibilities to people who aren't taxpayers too, quote unquote. Um, And those and those responsibilities don't have to be at the expense of responsibilities to taxpayers, your, you know, responsibility to your dues paying member doesn't like, erase the fact that people who aren't in DSA, like, are impacted by it and should... Cubans. Cubans are... Cubans are affected by DSA? (laughs) They hope. Sorry, Sorry, that was... No, it's okay. I feel feel like I said most of what I wanted to say there. Well, you're, like, you're getting at this monetary... Like, this dimension of um, where this monetary naming and group dynamics are related in terms of this sense of... Uh, we are taxpayers to this org DSA and we need to shore up our scene. We need to make sure we're all valid. And and there's the way that there's an interplay between monetary scarcity and these sort of dominant dynamics, which, yeah, probably are not necessarily the DSA rank and file, but a lot of the fights that kind of you see repeat are, are fights you see in a lot of orgs, right? And in a lot of structures like sovereignty, right? And they do have this sort of fascistic monetary um, lack built in. And we were saying in in contrary to some ideologies of mutual aid that try to get outside that problem by rejecting the proto-monetary completely and repressing it, that that's always at issue in like collective work and collective organization. And that there's ability to create breath among 
these different formations monetarily or organizational uh, labor wise is like much more productive and that opening up the way we think instead of just having these isolated islands who have to like battle for legitimacy. Um, not to say we're just total relativists, but to, to open up some breathing room in the analogizing amongst these formations. And I think this is a really great way to then, I think, start transitioning into the specific readings we want to talk about, right? Because it it sets the stage for this particular article that's a particular critique of Sunrise from a DSA perspective. And, and you know, it it is, it's, there's, there's this sort of positing of, well, is the nonprofit outside donor model better than the member dues model, right? And then it's like this becomes the particular landscape of scarce funding that is that that sets the two poles of dialectical opposites that then come into contradiction and 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 conflict with one another. And so there's been lots of talk about critiquing the the nonprofit model, which there are plenty of things to critique about, including beholdenness to donors and and all sorts of things, right? Which I think uh, there's books and books on, and and that's sort of maybe intuitive in a sense. And then there's also this the the sort of taxpayer dues model critiques that we've um, talked about and and that are mimicked in other places in sort of MMT circles around this sort of priority of those that pay in quote unquote to an institution um, and all of which ignores the the monetary experimentation and the monetary creation um, paradigm that money on the left and parts of the sort of post-Keynesian MMT endogenous money space sort of opens up as a theoretical political or policy possibility and then question right with with its own limits and and possibilities and so while we're sort of insisting upon opening up those questions outside of that contradictory either or there is no alternative to private money um stop calling out kierkegaard look joe biden loves kierkegaard i will continue to call out kierkegaard (laughs) for the rest of my life and I will have always already <laughs> failed in doing that because you know, we're all we're all implicated in Kierkegaard in some sense. Um, so that's like the framing in which that we're going to dig into this specific specific discursive debate that just played out this last week, and um, from there we're going to move into a document which this Jacobin article. Um, links to as the sort of serious analysis of American society, which is the DSA's Climate Change Committee. Um, this came straight out of the Central power. Central Committee. Right. Yeah. It's the it's to be specific. It is the uh, Democratic Socialists of America Green New Deal Campaign Committee Theory of Power document. Jesus and, Christ. Um, we're going to talk about that, and <laughs> as usual, we're going to unpack some of the theoretical foundations of that and likely critique certain marxist concepts that under stop that i thought we were stopping we were stopping the marxist thing we became marxist now no no, it's true we are stopping the marxist thing (laughs) whenever you're not critiquing marxism i think that we're part of marxism again and that's right i panic because i don't i can't (laughs) can't keep going back and forth max i can't um we need Um, to pick Uh, unless you critique that's all i ever do (laughs) 
<laughs> Unless you critique Marxism, it, it it's critiquing you at all times. That's called dialectics. <laughs> um, no, we kid. Um, look, I love I love Krakauer, and he's a he's a critical theorist with a Marxist and Freudian influence. So you know we're we're variously distantly implicated and affiliated with certain Marxist traditions that do not subsume us, and that's called our method. That's our model UN statement coming from Max. Um, I don't think you you put up your placard, uh, Natalie. <laughs> Natalie so I'm gonna that we're gonna strike that comment from the record. Um, and and we expect your resignation in the coming. Uh, <laughs> um, that was a great introduction. Um, so the article that we're reading is called "What the Sunrise Movement Can Do Better." It's by Jonathan Guy and Sam Zacker or Zaker. Their their headline writers really have a way with words. <laughs> I feel like they have like a like they try to like what would Lenin write every headline? What would Lenin write? How to be better in sunrise? You know, I just like the most. <laughs> No, you said you said B, so that that has a bit more of a a, a better it rolls off the tongue a bit better than what can X do better. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what do do uh, <laughs> by Lenin? That's called general intellect. <laughs> yeah. So the subheading then uh, the Sunrise Movement deserves enormous credit for putting the Green New Deal on the national political agenda. But but the organization seems to have hit a wall as of late. It may be time for Sunrise to pursue a new direction in its tactics, right? So, like, you know, we're we're t- going to be talking about both Sunrise and DSA. Obviously, I don't have a problem with commenting on other organizations from one organization. You know, like you you don't want to be an asshole about it. Um, but I I do want to point out just on the kind of sovereignty note of things. Um, Right, the dominant understanding of, of sovereignty and autonomy as the exception from accountability at all, right? Like there's a huge double standard here that, that you can just write this about sunrise, but like, you know, if if we did if we titled this episode what DSA can do better, we would be like we would have to lock all of our accounts. Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> all right, we, we like to be locked. We like to lock our accounts sometimes. Just spell it out, why don't you? <laughs> so it's, it, it's uh, S-U-N-R-I-S-E, do better. That's to spell it out. <laughs> and what, I'm curious, what, what is your guys' kind of like, um, uh, what... What is the the use of a, a sunrise? Like if you're talking to a skeptic, because I think we were noticing like it was interesting the way like everybody kind of, not everybody, but a lot of people kind of fell on the sword, you know, like, oh yeah, that's so true. I'm in sunrise. I started sunrise and like, I, I'm humble before you great Jacobin DSA committee. Like we are not grounded enough. We're not local enough. We're not uh, moving coordinated kinetic class um, movement. I don't know, but uh, what 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 is the role of Sunrise, and what do we kind of like uh, take from Sunrise? Yeah, yeah. I think what's interesting about this is like the role of Sunrise is complicated, and it's had a historical role and an ongoing role a- around advocating for policies, doing direct actions in like politicians' offices and and you know outside the White House and doing all you know media campaigns, and there's there's a lot of different things, right? But um, and and some of which we have to say have been incredibly effective, right? I mean, the Green New mm. Deal coming on the map, and you know, the going into Diane Feinstein's office, and like the fact that AOC has the platform that she has because of that early on Sunrise action. Exactly. Mm. There's a lot of 
ongoing benefits from this and and continually i mean they're they're um right now we're, we're really act- activated around the climate uh the civilian climate corps proposal which is a uh, hearkening back to the civilian conservation corps the ccc which i've written about others have written ba- about um and and you know there there's cccp i i twirled my hair in case the least <laughs> while will took the biggest yawn i ever saw <laughs> <laughs> um, you know there's lots of things to be critical of there's lots of things to affirm right but there's stuff that's going on that's generally in this area yeah. left left mm-hmm. progressive space of activism around right. justice and climate justice and all sorts of different things you know it, I, I, we don't claim to have like more knowledge than any like we don't have to ha- claim to have total knowledge about what every activity that any org is doing and i think right. that that's a but we that's a positive thing but there there was this dynamic where there was like a falling on the sword thing where it's like okay there here's a moment of where there's a critical negation of sunrise's model and it's like i think a lot of people are frustrated by different organizational things in sunrise rightly so in a lot of instances see critique from another institution as a positive thing because it will make an org sort of look inward on itself i mean this is again a dialectical discursive logic and so any critique that punctures the island or the membrane of one's org is doesn't have to be all good his premises don't have to be all good but that puncturing itself is a positive generative synthetic process of self-reflection it's and this like, is something mm, that pierce me <laughs> <laughs> this is a i think a discursive dynamic that is there and it's important to like honor the impulses but i think it's actually quite damaging because then you let certain premises stand in for the dominant discursive horizon by which self-reflection can be you know processed in in this sense of re re or recapitulating or or restructuring your org from from inside and so i think what i what what's interesting about that is this article which we will get into um there are things about it that are correct right i mean that that's important to say but it's important to also say that a lot of the premises we find really damaging and flawed in their foundations of scarcity and sovereignty that Will was explicating. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, Addy, but maybe that's a, like a, a way of framing it. And to be fair to the authors here, um, they, they follow a structure of, you know, here are first the things that Sunrise does well, but Sunrise has hit against hard material gravity limits of physics under capitalism, basically. But yeah, so like, you know, a lot of the things that we just named um, are nodded to in this article as things that Sunrise is doing well. Um, But the article goes on to say, yet Sunrise's tactical repertoire is running up against hard limits. In contrast (laughs) to the generative and relatively Uh, favorable media coverage the group received early on, attention to Sunrise direct actions has waned. Multi-day marches through California and the Gulf Coast in May and June, for example, received little to no media coverage. The June 28th action earned some attention, but the reception by journalists, commentators, and on social media was mixed. Many observers criticized the action for targeting Biden instead of Congress, which presents more serious obstacles to significant climate spending. There's even just a lot there, um, which which maybe we can kind of comment on before 
moving into like what the big reveal is, um, which is a much more kind of like framing point. Um, but like one thing that stands out to me, for instance, you know, is that like at the end there, there's a nod to or a, a deferral to the structure of Congress as the determinant condition that Sunrise finds themselves in that makes it uh, counterproductive to target Biden when they could be targeting members of Congress instead, which to me seems to jump over a lot of you know, like the the symbolic you know value of of targeting Biden for something. Well, I mean, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading too much into this, but I, I think there's like a tendency right now f- among some on the left to see Biden as based, which is like, like that's what they they've said. Like, I mean, this is a chapel line, right? Um, and and because they of said the Biden Afghanistan is stuff, based. Yeah, um, I don't even know what that. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's I'm... it's like when when you uh, like take some of the juices from the bottom <laughs> of a sheet pan and you put it on top of the Biden. <laughs> well, like because of the Afghanistan stuff, so I think there are interesting things there. Now, I I'm see. not saying I'm not saying that I'm not saying that these authors are defending Biden, but I think to Will's point that there is a a sort of weird deferral here, which suggests like of all the critiques of. Obama that the left has um, rightfully mustered over the last decade um, it, the, to sort of say, well, like, it's weird to target Biden because really the problem is in Congress and, and like, and like the problems in Arizona or something like that, you know, and, and or, or, or whatever. That's a that's an odd line because we know that Biden could do things like forgive all like student debt and like there's 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 and that's just one of the many different things you know biden could push to end the filibuster biden like you know there's all sorts of things that biden could do to try and garner support for uh a a more left approach to public policy at the moment and and stuff that even outstrips our policy knowledge right and so that I could, but again, this is like an either or thing. It's like if you're not targeting the specific point with which power is located, blah blah blah. Um, so I think that's one thing to say, right? And and on the media side of these things, it's like it might very well be true that press attention has not been um, as active, right? And and there's all sorts of institutional reasons, historical reasons, reasons, right? I mean we're in a global pandemic there this is a this is another reason and and there's all sorts of things that are moving parts in this right and when democratic when there's a democratic president there's structural political media things going on here too but to suggest that it's like we've reached the limit and now we have to reassess might be true in some relative sense but to to absolutize it and then say it, it's it's a rhetorical trick that is instrumental, right? It's it's meant to lead us to a point in which the only thing to do is what DSA is doing, right? And and so there's no sense of a diversity of tactics being at all generative here, um, and that's I think something that we need to be critical of in in this sense of the either or logic. Well, it's like Andre said. He said like it's like everything. It's like this 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 typical article of like everything has to be more DSA than even DSA. It's like just this nauseating, exhausting unity of the one theory of change, which is 
<laughs> and which is not to say which is not to say that these these media act activation like sort of plans and campaigns are are absolutely effective either right but you can right. also never know who's being activated who's right like who's being radicalized who's finding meaning and like it's not just about the immediate causal right it's all it's about building a sort of capacity and a solidarity around different forms of of activation and and you, you never know where people are going to like find their place it's a mm. heterogeneous capacity of form too right it's not because i think that a lot of the time like another kind of rhetorical trope that is used a lot is the sort of like and there are no shortcuts or and and this is going to have to happen from the bottom up and in you know in all of these ways that are not uh, formally heterogeneous right that's like the form is organizing in dsa and there's no shortcut around recruiting as many people as possible in order to do the work on the ground, right? Um, and I think that, that it works to implicitly squelch a lot of more capacious capacity building, right? Like capacity that is not just how much can your membership, you know, mobilize or whatever, but like what's being described in the Sunrise document is not just like, we we tried media and then it stopped working you know like what's what's actually being described here is like a a very is like formal experimentation that has seen mixed results on sunrise's part but to like to just kind of be like okay so let's give give sunrise or give this tactic the universal thumbs up or universal thumbs down now because it's run ag- it's run up against its limits and switch over to the next universal yeah. tactic that everyone it's, needs to be plugged into. It's very patronizing. It's like, kids, you've had your fun. Now it's time to get serious, right? I mean, I think that's maybe a way yep. to, to boil it down, right? And um, so, yeah, then like kind of the big framing here is they write later, in the case of Sunrise, we offer a simple diagnosis. While Sunrise has significant potential, it stands at a remove from the vast majority of people the organization wishes to mobilize. Sunrise is socially disembedded from American society, which, you know, that's that's a that's hurtful. Um, (laughs) uh, In order to succeed, Sunrise must develop an ideological analysis that clarifies what the group wants and why its strategy will accomplish it. Penetrate a much broader Mm. cross section of the population beyond its largely affluent. That's a good point, though. Highly don't just fuck rich people and and metropolitan membership and focus on developing a mass base of support at local levels. I mean, first of all, I think it's really important to say that Natty lives in Chile, so anything she says, disembedded from American society. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And and, (laughs) and none of this is happening at a DSA meeting, which means we're disembedded from class society. But yeah, right. So like, like I, I joke, like it's, it's very harsh to say that something is socially disembedded from, from society, but like, it's like more than just kind of mean like it's it's a super problematic charge to make right because it in essentializing the productive base of society you know or these institutions right the the univocal institutional base of society this creates a benchmark to 
to label people as outsiders, at least with respect to valid political work. Also, just like, what the fuck is society if there's an outside of society? Like, I I don't, you know, like, there's just like a baseline conceptual problem here, which is, and, and it's pervasive. I'm not even saying it's just these authors, right? It, there, society is not a meaningful term if there's like a door where you just go like wander off into nature or wander off into the clouds that like you know what i mean like it's not a and i mean and that's the way social relations get used in like the liberal tradition of understanding social contracts and societies where you just like sign on the dotted line and you enter into the society um or um or there's like a social base that grounds society in a productive mode of touching hammers in a factory um Mm, right and and and, and there's a way in which in which this idea of society as having an outside, certain people are not accounted for in the story of how the world is reproduced right. unless they're in production, right? Which is such a problematic idea of production because it relies on this hard separation of the state and nature, right? But also then the state and the market, right, is, is another version of this. So like the, the crux of this, right, the sense that sunrise is disembedded from society though it's not just like a quip that right i think this is what will is saying it's not just like a quip that they're using that's kind of shitty right it's a foundational understanding of social relationality right where like the you're in the media which is not in society right and you get donors which is not in society, which is because society is a material relation of production, which I mean, we could DSA even be is right. society. I mean, you know, if, if we play our cards right, um, they're very, very embedded in society, all of it. Well, they're, they're trying to embed society in DSA, right? That's, that's <laughs> right, goal, right, right. And like, there's so many different like corners of this, like bizarre formulation of thinking about society in this way and it's where i think you know not just our mmt perspective but our historical perspective and you know i i'm positive that sophisticated marxists could take this notion of disembeddedness and turn it over in different ways to show that the constitutive totality is not disembedded but relational and like you know like there's different ways of of uh of going at this it's not to say that like we have the 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 the, i almost said trump card which um he really he really ruined that phrase didn't he yeah now they actually are mailing people trump cards (laughs) but that fundamentally speaking there's like a symptomology here that really is baked into our setup to this episode in this like relational sense of inside and outside and absolute sovereignty and these things that we just tread over and over again that disallows for that ambiguous breadth, right? And so it's like, is it embedded or is it disembedded? And this is binary thinking, and, and which is why we're always insisting on the analogical and the, the queering of this binary that that and that doesn't just Ugh. take the binary and queer it, but- Does that require words? That it does, it requires names and not mm. just daddy. There's other names? You know, that, that remains to be seen. Yeah. It depends if those, it depends if we win or not. There are many names, um, but they're all in in a currency called daddy dollars. Yeah. The problem here is ultimately symptomatic of the, the whole problem that we've sketched out on this podcast, which the left doesn't really know what to do right now. Right? Which 
I, I understand. It's not like it's not an easy moment to to be a leftist and to to be an activist because like shit is happening and it's awful in all different directions, right? And there's not like a clear singular uh, Poppy who we can follow, Poppy Bernie, to to the promised land, right? Or at least some. No, we haven't had anything since he lost in 2016. It's been mostly over worldwide. That's right. It was liber- li- uh, liberalism's final deferral to fascism was an evil. <laughs> the, the, the nail in the coffin was, was the, the echo of Bernie's loss, which was current affairs imploding. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> now there's nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that was it. Was a mere echo, but certainly it confirmed the yeah. in, in Deridian, demise. In Deridian terms, it's called a trace, actually. Um, oh yeah. No, now, no. now there's nothing. Asterisk DSA. <laughs> well, right. And, like we haven't spent like a lot of time teasing out like the momentum model and the limits of that, and like like playing on the moral conscious of the people, which all like if that's really the like the absolute sunrise horizon of possibility that also has limits too, because it's a univocal location of a theory of change. Right. And it's exactly like, if that's the case, which is not to say that that's what everyone in sunrise thinks is the case. Right. Um, Then that's similarly problematic in its univocal opposition to an economic theory of change, quote unquote. And what we're arguing for is, again, an all at once non-zero sum, not having to pick, but this sort of breadth of of possibility and meaning making and naming and, and activism that that outstrips that dialectical problem, right, of of idealism and and uh, and then this base economic mode. Right. And so th- this is, again, the we, we keep returning and recurring on to this outstripping of this dialectical being for others being for oneself question and whether it's at the interpersonal at the theoretical at at the at the level of activism and at the level of strategy and tactics we keep hitting this proverbial wall right but for us it's not the wall is not the hard limit of the material substrate of capitalist uh, control over the totality of society and what that which is disembedded from it but the the limit is our capacity to to keep turning over creatively what our strategies are going to be because that is what is discursively playing out right and and there's lots of policy questions but we're literally sitting here thinking about what's the best way forward right we're not like we're not chiseling at at the capitalist right in in the streets the, the, it, like and that's a part of this right speak for yourself well, I mean, we are doing that too, right? I mean, I, you know, uh, we've talked about the ways as as workers, you know, and I, we, I'm also speaking for myself, we've been activated, you know, and we, we talked with Matt Chrisman about graduate student unions and how that's, those don't count because um, we're PMC, which is a theory we'll come back to. But coming at this from all these different directions, we really want to just say, like, just everyone chill. Like, just... Chill out. We need to chill out a little bit. That's, that's like, easy for yeah. you to say. You're it, not living under capitalism. Oh, wait. Right. No, you're well, right. it's also, yeah, a, you know, it's also right. a mental thing because with Trump, I think a lot of people were like politically activated and mentally or in different ways. And I think there was like a clear sense of like what the sandpaper you're up against in a way. And I think in, in a kind of interesting way, um, the hopeless elements of dealing with Democrats like almost makes people despair even more. As opposed right. to like a clear opposition, which isn't to say we think you're going to like 
convince Democrats or, of everything or that that's the only thing there is or that you're not. Like, I think it's, but it's interesting to me the way there's more despair with Democrats than when Republicans are in power. I mean, that's a sensation. Now, certainly it's true that things are worse now because of like this horrible pandemic we're in for like the last nearly two years, right? But like, and that, that uh, has a lot of hopelessness and, to it, right? For people, but do, do you see what I mean? Like, Yeah, it's like the Schmidtian logic where it's like, it's, it's, yeah. it's classic partisan politics. I mean, it's not like reinventing the wheel, right? I mean, there's a way in which Trump existing and being the enemy is very easy because mm. he is in he's a, the closest thing to an absolute enemy that that people on the left right can can think you know can yeah. think with right? right and so that shores up something he's like if there was like a Lego figure of a capitalist you know like it's, right. <laughs> he's just like right. the platonic except except he's also the Democrats enemy so like leftists find themselves identifying with him because, mm. and so then they're torn yeah. and, and they're anyway. you know totally I mean, not, not to i'm not gonna go on this tangent but also like that's totally being torn about like the capital riot you know on on january yeah. 6th you know there's there's the sense of like well i really wish that it that instead of nooses it was guillotines that they were like <laughs> setting up outside like as if this would have like made a difference or something and it's Anyway, uh, I'm going to keep reading this whole section called What is Sunrise's Ideology? They write, In order to understand why Sunrise has stalled, we have to ask a basic question. What is Sunrise's ideology? The organization sends mixed signals. And then later, The organization's list of legislative priorities this year is nearly two dozen items long, yet it's not clear how Sunrise assigns these relative weight or why. And of course, for me, like, why do things need to be assigned relative weight <laughs> um, unless you're dealing within the kind of hard austerity of like the one organization with limited resources and all of that, which we'll get to later. You have to weigh your about. money. Well, you see, it's a gold standard. I mean, that's. Yeah. And so then they write more generally, Sunrise has been criticized for bringing in a hodgepodge of left causes ranging from Palestinian liberation to policing into its messaging and programming, leading to a sense that the group lacks direction and coherence. While many of these critiques are made in bad faith by those who do not support such causes, they raise a useful question. How should limited time and resources be allocated? given Sunrise's largely correct but wide-ranging political commitments on a variety of issues. The choice may not be easy without a more clearly defined ideology. I think really what we need to do is just not worry about Palestine stuff or like police stuff and just focus on the workers. I mean, to be honest, I think that's the left thing to do because it's just a hodgepodge of other assorted things. I don't like P words, Palestine police <laughs> well it yeah um yeah i knew that that one would be a doozy it's uh <laughs> i mean th but the kind of crazy thing also right is that like this is coming from like this is a critique coming from someone in dsa which is like the multi-tendency like every issue under the sun organization right to be to be honest though they do also critique dsa for not having more of a national political unified centralist program so DSA's always fighting among itself about that, isn't it? It's like all things to all people and only one thing to all people. I don't know. It's like there's a lot of dialectical yeah. conflicts. 
I hope they settle it and come up with a party line soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, when will it become democratic centralist? I think you just have to make it smaller. <laughs> And then it'll work out. Just contract, exclude some more people. And don't talk to too many journalists. That 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 carries the risk of becoming disembedded. Are we journalists? <laughs> um, Ew. Not even. We're post we're postmodern journalists, which are we're, we're references to journalists that don't exist anymore. That just um, means we're hot. <laughs> it does, yeah, but in but in an alienating way. Um, but yeah, right. So like this all should sound familiar given everything that we've been saying, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of repetition here. You know, there's the idea that the organization, right, needs to be operating as a collective will and a collective will needs to pick things and needs to pick, you know, very specific things. So there's a logic of of trade-offs and the logic of trade-offs when you're encountered with a zero-sum choice, then even if things are qualitatively different and heterogeneous, um, you run up on the hard limit of you have to make a choice and then they can be weighed against each other and made homogenous in in terms of valuation. And and you know what? I just don't think trans issues are really going to make it in uh, to really what our priorities are in this organization. No. So apologies. You know, we, we stand in solidarity, but not really. Yeah, but like, you know, in theory. But like, we're trying to change the theory too. Um, I mean, this is just such a reactionary passage. I kind of... I wanted to be nice. Like, the, I was trying to be nice to this article. Jesus. I forgot about that part. I repressed it. Yeah, well, that, that, that tends to happen. Um, especially the leader of Model UN. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, they continue. Ideology is useful not just because it articulates a political vision, but because it provides an idea of how the world presently works, and by extension, how we might successfully intervene in it. The concepts that Sunrise typically depo- deploys to describe this part of its ideology People power and political power, for instance, are too abstract to be useful. You were right on the P words. Are too abstract to be useful. Why and when are the people powerful? Importantly, they're not in the world. They intervene in the world. Mm -hmm. It's just it's it's just like the Marx theses on Fauerbach all over again. The philosophers are just interpreting. We have to figure out where to stick our dick and. In the world. That's right. yeah. yeah, the point is to find the world's <laughs> hole. Yeah, <laughs> but no, like this is. I actually think that this is a really good example of of what we mean when we criticize university. Right? It's like there's there's one analysis of how the world presently works that that completely eliminates things like the monetary contestation that we were talking about in the last episode. You know. You can look at how the English language works and develop an analysis of of where the pressure points within the language are to change it. But and and, su- and some of that might be useful, but there's an unnecessary reduction that's happening that in this case is extremely counterproductive and accelerationist. I, I but I, but on the other hand, I do want to go guillotine the Oxford English Dictionary employees. <laughs> because that's the that's the location. Well, because then we'll make the words. At least the section with P in it. <laughs> There's a lot more on this article about um, 
what what they describe as the momentum structure of Sunrise. And I want to flag for listeners that in the future, we are going to talk about this a bit with Andres Bernal, who's supposed to be here for this episode. Um, unfortunately, scheduling is hard when everybody's in like different parts of the country slash world. Um, Backslash. <laughs> I think now, though, it might be a good time to uh, move on to the article that is hyperlinked. So I'll read read the context in which it's hyperlinked, which is following what I read. Um, if these questions are not taken seriously, precious years may be wasted on pursuing tactics which bear little fruit. Again, right, like wasted by who, right? Like there's an assumption that you're speaking to everyone at once. Yet answering them requires a hyperlink, serious analysis of American society and the specific opportunities it presently offers. And just as importantly, the ones it does not, right? Which is, I think, probably the most harmful here is that this whole podcast has been trying to break open possibilities Mm. with, with monetary experimentation. You could issue direct credit and, you know, create local fiscal circuits. And that could one day be made receivable with other direct credits or with the US dollar or something like that. And like, guess what, you're not going to get to that by staying imminent to this univocal reading of the form of where power is structurally located, even structurally legally located. And and with that, we're going to transition from Mr. Guy to the DSA's Green New Deal Campaign Committee Theory of Power. This is an ex- this is an exciting read for for those of you who have not had a, the chance to to peruse this um, exciting prose, this exciting poetry. Um, I really recommend it. Yes, and so um, Mr. Guy and Mr. Zacker link to this Theory of Power collective document, right? And um, this is a document that is posited, as Will said, as a serious analysis of American society. And so I'm going to read from some of it so we can see some of the foundational um, assumptions and notions that are being worked out in this serious analysis from which this article predicates this critique of Sunrise as well as essentially a, a a voice for the foundation of DSA's activist organizational posture towards change and its singular univocal theory of such change. So um, it begins with section one, the challenge. And, um, <laughs> is this the real world road rules challenge? That's like one right, of the, the best forgotten shows of the aughts. It is the challenge. Anyway, we could talk about the challenge, but one of the most lesbian shows, low key, that there was on. In- I, I would say. Speak in my language. Look, my um, ADHD is acting up. I apologize. Uh, do not apologize. Uh, I do. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll take that. We'll, we'll consider that off air. Um, so the challenge begins with an epigraph, which reads Men make their own history but they do not make it as they please. They do not make it under self-selected circumstances, but under circumstances existing already, given and transmitted from the past. Um, boys, boys, boys were born to mothers, which is starting out at a problem. And so, 
here's the problem, right? This could be this could be just lifted from Hegel's philosophy of history. It's possible that it actually is. Yeah. Well, I, I should flag this as a Marx quote. It's a Marx quote, like I said, lifted straight from Hegel's yep. philosophy of history. Um, mm-hmm. But this is just in their subconscious. I feel like like they don't even know. I just think it's like entered the anyway. Right. I mean, th- this is just a classic example of like, you know, sh- like. It can be explained away in a way that is not actually going to explain it away because it's just going to keep this this patriarchal sort of notion of man in nature. Man in history. Yeah, man in history. <laughs> and, and also the way it starts, too, which is like man is born without power. What will he do? Kill yeah. mommy or no? You know, it just is very... <laughs> like a, yeah, history is a choose-your-own-adventure game. It's yeah. all text-based. It's almost like um, Marxism is predicated on enlightenment notions, which are predicated on a Cartesian notion, which are predicated on Franciscan notions. Well, anyway, we're not going to get that go that far. Um, but we can go pretty far. We could keep going. I think uh, it depends until, how deep nature until goes. we find the the worst the worst original moment. Yeah, um, which is uh, Aristotle and Plato together. Uh, anyway, um, there's a lot to read of this, right? So there's this sort of challenge of the present moment, right? And, and I'm going to read here leftists. Marx's words ring truer than ever. Attention leftists who are all reading this, thrilled. (laughs) Just as any good organizer knows we have to meet the people where they are at, any good strategist knows that they have to work in the historical context in which they find themselves. In our current context is not auspicious for building power from below, given the dismantling of popular institutions and organizations over prior decades, foremost among them labor unions. Yet, we can't afford either inaction or a strategy on the timescale of many decades. The climate crisis and the crisis of economic precarity and immiseration continue unabated, with inequality and global warming accelerating by the day. Right? And they, they go back to this, right? We, we know that there are no shortcuts to winning power and systemic transformation. You know, we keep going, blah, 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 right? We're running out of time and there are no shortcuts. That's right. There, we're running out of time and there are no shortcuts. And then, so, like, one of the concluding points of this section is the key question is how to replicate such victories, right? And, and they're referring to Bernie's performance in California and Nevada in such a sustained <laughs> and coordinated fashion, targeting the climate capitalism nexus through the lens of a radical Green New Deal and making substantial progress in under a decade. Such a horizon requires popular activity in all arenas, ballot boxes, streets, workplaces, neighborhoods, and more, but not the media. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that question, right? But you, you it's know, pretty, pretty, pretty Jewish. <laughs> I mean, sorry. <laughs> um, Marx would agree with you. Yeah, Marx would, and and leftists, his his words speak uh, truth. Attention, than... leftists. <laughs> yeah, and in fairness to that section, um, that that was started mid sentence. If you look, it's U.S. leftists, and that was the period. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we know we have to f- find the workers where they are at in Peru and Venezuela. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My God, um, yeah. So yeah. And this is we've been talking about this a lot already, right? It's like naturalize the world as it is, i.e., history. Um, and then say, we have to go, we, who uh, somehow are not the men who make th- their own change, have to go to the where they're at, the people, uh, and we're not implicated in that, 
and then make them do Marxism, right? And and there's just all this externalization and self-exculpation. I mean, I think some people on Twitter in DSA have literally called this ego death, which is just the most egotistical thing I've ever heard. I mean, <laughs> I'm so important that I must put myself aside. Do, yeah. It's like, I have, uh, yeah. Have you been to absolutely. Silicon Valley for like five seconds? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of, C- lot of CEOs having ego death. They are. With the amount of labor it takes to power this guy, I could power an entire movement. We were running out of time and there's so much that we can like talk about from this, but I'm going to mm-hmm. keep going. Like the next section is yeah. with a reference to Stuart Hall is called to the conjuncture. Um, and, it, you know, it's talking about how for the next four years they're going to organize for the Green New Deal. And the following four years will be more of the same if we're lucky. They're quick to clarify that we will not have power right. or or leverage or agency for the next four years. You know, 23 states are controlled by Republican trifectas. Um, so it's a lot of things that are very pessimistic, which, you know, I mean, it's not like things are good. We're not saying that things are good. But in the face of this... In, of this, these challenges, right? Uh, which it does spell out uh, in a way that, you know, history is given. God gave it to us. Um, and, but it wasn't a gift, given without the gift, which is, uh, as we also know, is just like 50 to 80% of all religious studies books are just some iteration of how the world is given and it wasn't a gift. Um, and, but so lacking, I'm quoting here, lacking organizations and institutions in which to articulate itself as, quote, class for itself, again, quoting Marx, the working class remains fractured along the cross-cutting lines of occupation, geography, race, gender, and citizenship. Along with the downwardly mobile and or indebted lower echelons of the professional managerial class, PMC, which is effectively joining the ranks of the working class, they form the constituency for left-wing economic populism. Although the Bernie campaign, in both its victories, Nevada, and its failures, South Carolina, revealed that such a constituency will not emerge as a political force without strategic, targeted, and relational organizing that commences well in advance of the electoral cycle and in turns builds on past electoral campaigns. So I will, I'm going to keep reading. <laughs> Additionally, the existence of a broad, multiracial, and complex working class, working class and fragments of the PNC constituency, for economic populism provides a clear opening for reactionary variants of economic nationalism. <laughs> I wonder where those are coming from. Yeah. <laughs> it remains to be seen whether the GOP could coalesce around such a program and or whether figures within the GOP could articulate it without threatening the interests of their donors or the systemic interests of capital. It remains to be seen whether we could have a repeat of all of history in which economic <laughs> nationalism through the notion that races, multiracial existence is a contradiction to some sort of base desire of a perhaps class that exists for itself um, will take hold like it has in history many times. Um, but it remains to be seen whether that that is even a possibility. Um, it remains to be seen, but you know, keep keep building the class for itself with the one mission that's not fascistic at all. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like one of the things that's so kind of frustrating about this is how much how averse people are. The same people who write things like this are to questioning these deeply held theoretical 
assumptions that are like philosophically loaded and like pack a lot in like the idea of a class for itself and what's our what's our critique of that that's always my question because i think people like have a reaction to that they say oh are you against the working class are you not for workers like you don't want there to be justice and why why wouldn't you want to take on their their enemies the, yeah the capitalists. Well, I mean, like how do we displace that like fear yeah. people have i mean I, max has an answer that tramples all over Hegel and I'll let him get to that. Um, but what I would what I would want to say is nothing nobody can ever be solely for themselves, right? This is this is the the modern philosophical benchmark from which you get self-interest and this false binary between being for oneself and being for another. And then when you scale that up to a collective for itself, you end up with a disciplinary drive internally, right? Because everybody has to be playing as an orchestra and, and following a single path, a single theory of change. And this creates a benchmark to naturalize, uh, to naturalize skills, naturalize categories like ability versus disability, right? And like all, all, of, all of these kinds of exclusions that rely on the objective social task that has been decided beforehand by history, like in, in qualitative terms has been decided beforehand, that then nobody, you know, you can't fit the the round pegs into the square hole or whatever. Um, I mean, it's just problematic in so many ways, but importantly, it's very distinctly modern and very distinctly enlightenment. And that's what's not being recognized ever in conversations about sovereignty is how recent of a concept it is. And it's the foundation of classical economics, of the self-interested individual acting in, in, in the terms of their own preferences, right? And so the foundation of this is like, if economics is the problem and like capitalism is the problem, the imminence of this is basing your solution on the preferential self-interested premise of the problem, right? And so it it's just, you're, it's like thinking on the terms of the oppressor, which is what Hegelianism necessitates, right? It's that's the imminent dialectical negation. Yeah, and and that's and it's why socialism is conceived by Marx as a dictatorship of the proletariat, right? It's because politics is a relation of dictatorship, democratic or not. And and so it's a gentle, it's a gentle dictatorship. <laughs> yeah, well, be, because politics <laughs> is will, right? And a political order that is legitimate is a dictatorial will that we all exist within, right? Which right, and the a, rest of the secretaries. Yeah. Which pr <laughs> yes. produces otherness, right, as a threat. Yep. I mean, that's that's the foundation. Like, that's why the multiracial, that's why they, they note that, like, the PMC and, and multiracial working class is kind of hard because we are used to saying that, well, you over there, or relate to me because of our material shared relation to work. But your identity is also defined by something else. So this is a contradiction. And this contradiction paves the way for reactionaries to say, well, that actually, that person, that other over there is a threat to your sovereignty for yourself because they are not like you, yeah. right? And so, and 
the necessity of exclusion and relation by common denominator produces a dynamic where Tucker Carlson can come in and say, well, if you want to be like economically solvent and have your freedom for yourself, you have to get rid of all these people. And, and there, you know, we could think about it of the triumph of a, of a will for itself or all these other ways in which historically it has been genocidally mobilized. But this is a, a really foundational problem with German philosophical <laughs> traditions, right? And there's a reason why German philosophy comes in, you know, German is kind of, it's a charged place for thinking about inclusion. Are you saying will, will is German? Um, uh, Will Beeman? He's uh, blonde. I, he's, he's blonde. I don't think he's um, blonde. Dirty blonde. Yeah, it's, it's all right. <laughs> Not a problematic term at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, then, so, I mean, and this is where we, I mean, see our PMC episode for more on this, right? So then the usage of the term PMC is really evocative of this need to bracket and then locate historically what is to them given exclusions that then they repurpose right and and yep. and, and reproduce it's an analytical reproduction of exclusions yeah. that history has wrought it, it's a secular and race blind version of right. anti-semitism like historical anti-semitisms and, um, and 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 other historical otherings too you know and this is not to say it's identical to these things or that it's consciously trying to be these things right like this document is like sad that it's hard to make a multiracial working class, you know, happen and like, you know, subsume differences in one common denominator. Again, you run up against the like, you know, immediacy of let's weight our priorities, right? It's like, well, you know, what are the priorities of this organization? What are the priorities for identity, right? Like the priority then you start with whatever is shared by the most people not acknowledging that whatever is shared by the most people is itself like reified and not univocally given. And and that ends up being something where, yes, we can have queer people in the coalition, but like most people aren't queer and in a democracy, you don't let the minority trample over the majority. But, and, and, and what defines those people as queer, we hope is not their queerness. It's, it's their relationship to the mode of production, right? And so, this is like, it's like a race blind sadness that's like, well, we hope we can get the white people and the black people and the, and the queer people and all these composite people to become one and ignore their differences. Um, we, there is no black America, there is no white America, right? Like, you know, and we could, like, there, there's this similar move of race blind, like, politics that is trying to get people to see themselves not as what they are, but as some ideal class and this is achieving class consciousness right um and and so this is a problem because it's also saying like look this might not work we might get trump or tucker carlson and it might and these premises might just fall into fascism but you know we have to try and the only way to do that is to be disciplined yeah we need a we need a highly disciplined organization of people who are committed to resisting the natural urge to be fascist right and 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 like i want to circle back and also like say that a lot of like the the third section of this which is like what is to be done are is like really good things you know like it orient to federal politics prioritize labor solidarity 
you know, win class struggle elections of like very in key locations, you know, win structural reforms that are so-called like non non-reformist reforms, um, and you know, recruit and train organizers. You know, I, I think this fits right into like the mutual aid stuff that you all talked yep. about in the last episode, Especially, and like, yep, coordinate to rapidly respond to crisis directly. Exactly, aid, right? Yeah. yeah. These, these are all really good things, which is why, again, we want to come back to, like, this collaborative thing where we're saying that DSA does do really good things, right? And it's not, it's not about essentializing a critique in any sense to absolutely negate an organization or what people are doing within this organization, right? Which is the same we would say of, with Sunrise. But there is one more thing I wanted to locate because I think it relates to the Sunrise question and then it relates to podcasting and our collective as a media production and how we situate media, um, which is that they have a section that says create counter hegemonic socialist media. Um, And a part of that is essentially thinking about what online means. (laughs) And so I'm going to read some of this um, alternative media created by socialists and progressive fellow travelers has grown dramatically in recent years and has facilitated the growth of left politics. But these outlets are largely led by people who are extremely online and remain disconnected from an organized base. And there is that disembedded point again, which leaves it vulnerable to undisciplined attempts to intervene in procedural politics that are driven by moral catharsis rather than material power in organized relationships. And so DSA must engage mass media platforms that can reliably transmit our democratically determined priorities and continue to package our materials for mass consumption on social media, especially amplifying the perspective of workers and organizers who convey an expansive view of the, quote, front lines of the climate crisis, the benefits of a GND, especially for working class, BIPOC, and young people and mass organizing strategies to win Green New Deal victories. So the idea is, is like, Chapo's too online, which, you know, and like all yeah. of the, and all the other the media vote. Appra- Force the and vote force is the especially vote. what they're talking about. Right. Um, it's when, all too when, online. When really what I would say is like the main issue with force the vote is also shared by this document and this kind of like univocal reading of the system as working in one way and they're therefore being a mass agent that must work in one way according to one will. There's this idea that politics is about imposing a will and imposing a counter will, Mm. right? So, like, to me, what was wrong with force the vote was that it was this, like, AOC needs to submit to the left, Mm. you know, and anybody that we elect (laughs) needs to submit. Problem a lot of people have with AOC. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, right? Like, it's it's totally, like, psychosexual and weird. And, yeah, um, you need to discipline those within your organization in order to act as an organization to discipline, right, impose the organization's will onto office holders right like and it it, of course office holders are never going to be identical to this organization which means that there's going to be an endless drive for people to plausibly do things like force the vote and say well why aren't they doing this why aren't they doing this because it's oh there's always a moment 
you can always say, well, isn't this the perfect moment to, like, start attacking and bullying this, you know, woman of color office holder for one minute stopped doing exactly what, you know, me and my group of, you know, however many people said that she should do? And, and another way of putting this is what DSA is saying is we need to get the workers to do force the vote. Yes, exactly. It's a hard thing for some leftists to hear, I think, because there it's it is so unmooring. But I think especially now, like... You know, I have to be really honest, like the idea of doing force the vote from the left, i.e. force the vote, like the masses are going to impose their will on the minority. That's right wing. Um, that's it's a it's right wing populism in in essence, because it's it's a shallow understanding of of mass democracy as being the masses make like they decide on their will and then impose it on themselves. Sado, Sado masochistic populism. It's Das Volk, right? Like yeah. it's it's bad. And also I just think like there's this like a silly observation, but like people are online. Which is not to say that everyone's online, but like mm. Right, and like not to say that univocally every single person are online in the same space. Right, right? or that but, you can di- t- dictate from online or something. But there's but, different circles people are moving in, and things. Know, yeah. How do you know? Like how how do you know how people get reached? Like that's the one thing I want to say. Right, like that obviously like you can like we should talk to people and we should go and like knocking on doors is if it can be done safely in a pandemic. Uh, a good thing, right? And I, of course, like, I, I think people who are doing that, and like, I've done that in the past too, is it's great, right? That's not even the point to say that, but to say, like, we need people who make media who are a lot of, not as online, but they can be online, except during when, media time, except, right, during their, their uh, DSA allotted online time. Um, <laughs> right. Or, or like, re- re- still reach the people time. Right. It's always, I'm, you're always a, a missionary. It's just so, like, you don't need to do this. Like, like that's the that's the thing. Like this doesn't act. It's not actually a prop like that big of a problem. Like there, there's a reason why people and sometimes people spend too much time online, and often that's because of their circumstances, right? Like it's you know there's a there's a if if people are sitting in a, like their basement spending too much time online, like I I was like I was probably doing that during COVID when I couldn't mm-hmm. go outside. Right, like you know, like there, and it still is, right, that, and it's in still a lot COVID, of ways, right? right. Like, you know, yeah. So, I mean, if being on Zoom in a in like a DSA meeting doesn't count, like it's just all so yeah. incoherent. Well, and it's and it's not a vice either, like <laughs> in in some absolute way, right? Like it's I I don't really see what the big difference is between that and like you know saying like oh that person like you know they just read books all the time. What a loser. Like, shouldn't, you know, like, why are we listening to this person? They're reading books instead of like, they're not even popular. They're not embedded. Um, Like, it's it's just stupid. People listen to our our podcast while they're driving. Like, I I just don't, you know, it's like, that's online. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah, the all at onceness. We're all online in lots of different ways and offline or where we're very mostly all like, located in different ways and often would like to become located in additional ways but this sense that like your one way is stopping the other way and there are these absolute this way that way opposition you know when i was like getting into like the left podcast like listening to stuff like i was working in undergrad in a warehouse fixing tvs like and i was just listening to like left podcasts you know so it's like i mean that 
and and I guess like to finish up, moving from that like to this question of breadth that I think really like did resonate that sort of came to being through this recording is like it's all happening all at the same time and we can and are exerting our agency over it in collective ways and collaborative ways complementarily like sunrise is doing its thing there's dsa is doing its thing there's overlap people are in between in various ways and like it doesn't mean everything that's happening is good and that things can't be corrected but like we need to like have a bit less anxiety about that distance and that breath and just kind of like have again solidarity with people who are relatively speaking fellow travelers in this sort of in, and share these sorts of values that we're activated on and, and want to like do what we can to diversify your musical sense of the symphony of the the collective uh coordination we're playing with and the different songs and relations between songs and yeah and chords and threads and movements and i feel like this you know what we've talked about when we discuss the uni or we talk about you know mutual aid as as proto-monetary and a form of naming right like if organizations like dsa or like sunrise did experiment with you know direct credit creation to provision their own activities that that immediately lends itself to accounting for and outside by opening exchanges right so like if if the work that i'm doing in dsa can can work as a credit for this union over here or the work that i'm doing in sunrise can you know is a credit for my dsa dues or a credit for votes in this organization or that organization right like i this this sounds like totally radical and like this big gestalt, but actually this is a version of what we linguistically do all the time. I think that this is something that I want us to keep teasing out, and I, I don't think that there's probably time in this episode, but that's okay because this is, you know, we're, we're going to keep making episodes and it's just an ongoing becoming. But in order to embrace something like that, like not only, you know, quote unquote, deficit spending or spending directly rather than dues payers money or rather than just donor money or whatever. When you open that to other organizations, it facilitates a breathing and a coordination that is not suffocating. And that is not our organization is losing sovereignty because now we're, you know, our taxpayers are paying for this group, you know, which is like, those are the social dynamics that are at stake here.